Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this press conference from the 47th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum here in Davos. Welcome, everybody here in the room. Welcome for those of you who are watching on the live stream, and a special welcome to everyone here on the panel. Good afternoon. My name is Ryan Moorhart, and welcome to our press conference, CEPI, Building a Global Coalition to End the Epidemics. The press conference today is dedicated to the launch of CEPI. Welcome to those here in the room with us at our annual meeting in Davos. We thank President Biden and the U.S. government for their leadership in convening this summit and for setting concrete targets around the three goals of vaccinating the world, saving lives now, and through the Build Back Better goal, laying the financial and governance foundations for global health security in the 21st century. The Forum's 2019 Global Risk Report, released last week, details a new era of epidemic risk, one defined by an increasing number of epidemic events and a society more vulnerable to the, the related health, security, and economic disruptions. Through his foundation, Bill Gates has helped to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Well, today at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, he announced that his project called CEPI, or the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, has $460 million. He sat down with CBS News to talk about how that money will go to preparing for the next great epidemic. So, you know the forum has its acronyms. Uh, what does CEPI stand for? CEPI is the Coalition of Academic Preparedness innovations. Facts don't cease to exist because they're ignored. You know, above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lies comes to a point that he can't distinguish between the truth within him or around him and so kind of just loses respect for himself and for others. And having like zero respect cease to love anything. Uh, the idea is to take a, a new way of building vaccines uh, that could let us develop in less than a year a novel vaccine. Uh, they're called DNA RNA vaccines and so we'll fund a few projects uh, to build specific vaccines but uh, not only will we get that, we'll prove out that these platforms can work, we'll understand uh, the regulatory issues and it gives us a chance of uh, being able to respond in time when the next epidemic hits. We're in the same situations uh, we were in before, where... On behalf of our center and our partners, the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to our audience here in New York, as well as our larger virtual audience participating online today. The Event 201 scenario is fictional. Today's scenario is going to simulate meetings of a multi-stakeholder group called the Pandemic Emergency Board. We're at the start of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. There's been uh, some conspiracy theories that are around about uh, the potential that pharmaceutical companies or the UN have released this for their own benefit. And maybe this is a time for us to showcase some cases where we are able to, to bring forward some bad actors and leave it before the courts to decide whether they have actually spread some fake news. A new coronavirus. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. In related news, a significant demand for personal protective equipment like N95 masks and gloves are on the rise. Thank you, Jen. I am so pleased to join you all on this important day. Vaccines, as you all know, are a critical tool in the fight against communicable diseases. 
and it is vital that they be shared equitably. This is the principle upon which CEPI and Gavi were founded. With COVID-19, we now see what happens when the world faces a pandemic without a vaccine. A friend, I'm glad to be everybody's friend, <laughs> although that's impossible. <laughs> um, and good morning, everyone. And I would like to say as uh, the protocol goes, protocols, all protocols uh, observed. Um, it's such a real pleasure. And my thanks to CEPI and to the government of the United Kingdom for your hospitality and for your support, not just for this event, but uh, for global health. This is the voice of the Director General at the WHO. It's Tedros. This pandemic is not over anywhere until it's over everywhere. I'm often asked what the lessons of the pandemic are. Of course, as you know, there are many, and several of them were mentioned yesterday. The historic underinvestment in public health, the infodemic of mis- and disinformation, and the deficit of trust. But let me highlight three specific lessons as they relate to CEPI, our CEPI. First, a commitment to science and research. The pandemic has taught us the incredible power of surveillance, genomics, diagnostics, vaccines, and therapeutics. But it has also exposed gaps and weaknesses in the global ecosystem. WHO is working with our member states and partners to fill some of those gaps. Thank you, comrade. Thank you for doing what's right. Thank you for doing what you know you should do. Thank you for doing what we tell you to do. After all, we couldn't defeat the deadly, oh-so-real threat of the vile Omicron scariant without your dutiful compliance. However, it's kind of come to our attention that not everyone is as obedient as you are. These are traitors in our midst, insurrectionists who will question the soundness of the Politipura diktats. These meddling miscreants, we have come to find out, are spreading malicious lies and salacious slander about our cherished COVID-19 policy. Worse yet, they even say that there is a part of a global agenda to bring in a system of technocratic biosecurity governance. I know, I know it's hard to believe that anyone would dare impugn the motives of our wise rulers. But it is happening nonetheless. We have kindly informed the masses that it is their duty to ignore the siren song of these arseholes. Without a doubt, developing not one but several safe and effective vaccines for COVID-19 in less than a year was an extraordinary scientific feat and getting billions of doses in the arms of people around the world was another daunting challenge. This would not have been possible without unprecedented collaboration and partnerships involving private companies, international agencies, governments and health workers from industrialized and developing countries. There have been bumps along the road. Some very seasoned vaccine companies have failed. Good afternoon, I'm Zannie Minton-Beddows from The Economist and I am delighted to welcome you 
to this uh, conversation about the work of the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovation, which is, uh, I have to say, one of the more extraordinary initiatives to come out of Davos recently. Right now, somewhere in the world, a killer is waiting. This killer is infectious disease. Epidemics, the rapid spread of infectious disease to a large number of people, have been around since the dawn of civilization. The plague, smallpox, Spanish flu killed countless people and brought countries to a standstill. Hi, my name is Mighty Fine. I'm an expert with the American Public Health Association, and today we're going to talk about pandemics. We can think of public health kind of like the air on the International Space Station, or even here on Earth. We don't really notice it until something goes wrong. Firstly, why is it that we should have seen this pandemic coming a mile off? And spoiler alert, some of us did. Secondly, why is it that the next pathogen that comes along may well be far more ominous than what we've seen in COVID-19? And I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but there's good reasons to believe that. You know, like the sort of the necessity for socialism. He does point out that, like, that socialism's requirement for mechanization and a mechanized utopia will fail. And I can't help but return to something that Gandhi said prior to the Indian Revolution that threw out the British. There's no point in overthrowing the British in order to simply replace them and their systems. And, and Gandhi failed in this respect. I mean, Gandhi yes. had a vision of turning India into this collection of agrarian autarchic utopias and the only thing left of Gandhi's vision in the current Indian economy is his image on these rupee notes. That's the only thing left. All of these clips, unless they're specifically about COVID-19, are actually from 2017, 2018 and 2019. What I'm trying to do is kind of paint a picture. I'll come to you at the end. And so if there's not enough, so then we can abandon the idea that scarcity is the problem, mm -hmm. organisation is the problem. There's too much food here, there's not enough food over there, why is the food not getting over there? It doesn't suit the interests of the powerful to the food for the food to go over there. How do we affect the interests of the powerful? We organise ourselves and we challenge the interests of the powerful. Who are the powerful? It's these companies here, it's ah, these governmental that, organisations that's, that's here. That's the key question. To know who are the powerful, where power is, and how does it function, it's very complicated. So do you I think mean, the power is concealed, true power? without getting too conspiratorial. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the modern world, for a couple of centuries, one of the main functions of power is to conceal power. There is kind of a law of history. If you don't have a lot of power, you try to exaggerate your power. If you have a lot of power, you try to conceal it. If you're a king in England in the 12th century, you don't have a lot of power. But you try to conceal your weakness by these extravagant displays of power. So you go with like a pile of gold on your head and you wear all these furs and pearls and every now and then you tell people, okay, cut off his head. And that makes people feel, oh, he's very powerful. But actually he's very weak uh, because the state is very weak. Then you move to the modern age and leaders and governments really have enormous amounts of power, but they won't, don't want to attract too much attention to it. So, you know, they, they dress plainly, like an ordinary person. And uh, they, they live in a much lower life. I mean, they don't go about telling people, okay, cut off his head. Because they don't want to draw attention yes. to all that power. That's so a brilliant it's, point. It's very difficult to know where power really lies in, in the 21st century. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, abbreviated DARPA, or the Office of Advanced Research Projects of the United States Department of Defense, was established in 1958. 
almost immediately after the launch of the USSR's Sputnik 1. The realization that the Soviets were about to launch not only satellites, but also missiles into space encouraged the United States government to take notice. The city of Lund in southern Sweden dates back to medieval times. Over the centuries, it's witnessed plenty of change, but now there's a whole new sort of evolution going on. I'm here to meet some of the thousands of people in the country who are adapting their own bodies, who are inserting microchips under their skin. Dr. Hepburn showed us a few current projects. Some sound like they're from an episode of Star Trek. Consider a ship like the USS Theodore Roosevelt, hobbled last year when 1,271 crew members tested positive for the coronavirus. What if everyone on board had their health monitored with this subdermal implant, now in late-stage testing? It's not some dreaded government microchip to track your every move, but a tissue-like gel engineered to continuously test your blood. In some areas of life, bigger is better. But when it comes to microchips, smallness is boss. In May, a team of engineers at Columbia announced a new implantable medical microchip, so tiny it can be injected into a human body with a syringe. It's about the size of a single grain of salt. Microchips implanted in human bodies could transform the way we tackle many everyday tasks. Some workers in Sweden are already developing and volunteering, volunteering rather, to have chips injected into their hands. Using public transport, getting access to buildings and paying for coffee is now as simple as a touch of your hand. A microchip implanted beneath the skin gives people microchips the Microchips implanted in human bodies could transform the way we tackle many everyday tasks. Some workers in Sweden are... March 16th, 2018. The U.S. government's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, commonly known as DARPA, announces a bold initiative to develop what they call next-generation non-surgical neurotechnology. It is designed to allow the human brain to directly interface with machines. We know that DARPA is exploring human-machine interfaces that include direct connections between the brain and outside systems. That's been from the beginning of DARPA's information technology mission, and it continues to this day. DARPA has created some of the most influential technologies of all time, things that we use and take for granted every day, including the project that became the internet. They've created self-driving cars, stealth technology, GPS that fits in your pocket. That's DARPA's specialty, to imagine the future and create it. A new technology that is actually very much on the verge of being a reality that is being fielded is we could have a sensor maybe on the surface of our, of our head or maybe implanted somewhere in our body, in our brain or, or something that allows us to interact directly with our communications gear, our processing gear, our weapon systems, and so on. But now imagine we take that technology and we can control robots at a distance with it. Even fly drones, you put this sensor on and you think the right way and you can increase the speed of the fan by thinking and controlling that thought with direct-to-mind or mind-machine interfacing. With that type of capability, you could control all sorts of buttons and, and mechanisms in equipment. 
Mind-machine interfaces will have many applications in both civilian and military life. But there are those who believe that this same technology could also be used by DARPA as a new form of mind control. Like their counterparts at the CIA, DARPA-funded researchers have spent decades investigating how the human mind can be altered. In 1965, DARPA launched Project Pandora, which studied the possibility of using microwave radiation to control human behavior. The project reportedly ended in 1969, but DARPA's investigation of how machines can affect and possibly control the brain continues to this day. There are explicit programs of DARPA to read and write to human brains whether it's through direct implants within the brain or wearing some kind of cap. So these things are being worked on and we know that. So what's the next step? Maybe the next step is we can send instructions and information to an actual person from a distance with this kind of technology to let another person control their actions. But that could be something that could be malicious if there's some way to do it from a distance, a much greater distance than something that you can wear on your scalp, that would be the ultimate technological achievement that would fall into this realm of mind control and direct human-machine interface that DARPA may well want to keep secret. In the near future, DARPA may possess the technology to remotely control the human mind. But as concerning as that may be, according to some scientists, a more permanent kind of mind control technology is looming. And it involves modifying the human brain by altering the human body's DNA. The future of mind control, and the future being right now, because uh, these experiments are being done, is using gene editing tools. And one of them is, would be CRISPR. The way it works is take the CRISPR, which are these short alternating repeats of DNA. You put that together with an enzyme called CAS. And so you take the CRISPR that you want to use, and you put these pieces together that can be injected and insert this DNA to certain areas of the brain so that we can change brain cells and turn you into something you wouldn't otherwise be. So in this way, gene editing technologies like CRISPR really form a definite basis for future mind control. These are things that DARPA has investigated. Every technology has the potential for good or evil. And who defines what's good and what's evil and who uses it for what purpose? These are all questions that have been asked about everything from rockets to self-driving vehicles. We still don't have a good handle on the ethics of various technologies that we use. The technologists tend not to be so concerned with the ethics. That seems to be the domain of other people, policymakers, for example, academics, people like this. There needs to be a hand-in-hand -hand interaction with people creating technology and those who are considering the ethics of that technology. It's a sensor. This tiny green thing in there? That tiny green thing in there. You put it underneath your skin, and what that tells you is that there are chemical reactions going on inside the body 
and that signal means you're going to have symptoms tomorrow. Wow. There's an actual transmitter in that? Yeah, it's like a check engine light. Check this sailor out before he infects other people. That's right. And the fight to stop the coronavirus is going on throughout the U.S. government, including a Pentagon agency known for out-of-the-box innovation. Three years ago, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, known as DARPA, set the very ambitious goal of stopping disease outbreak in just 60 days. First, on CBS This Morning, we have an inside look at that project. It's in the middle of its first real test. Senior investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge is at the Pentagon with more on the Story. Catherine, I have to say, I like how these people are thinking, but realistically, how realistic is it and how soon could it work? Well, good morning, Gail. DARPA has a reputation for being ahead of the curve, and right now they're hunting for the most potent antibodies to combat COVID-19. And while clinical trials can take years, DARPA says it can't wait. DARPA, one of the Pentagon's most mysterious agencies, is usually hidden. You won't find any signs outside its headquarters in suburban Washington, D.C. But pandemic prevention platform manager Amy Jenkins told me DARPA inventions are all around us. The internet? So the internet. Not just that. Everything from Siri to stealth technology to self-driving cars, even your phone's GPS. Now, with hope of a coronavirus vaccine still uncertain, DARPA is zeroing in on something faster. SAPI was created and funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, along with the support from the World Economic Forum. We've talked about them. A biomedical research charity Welcome Trust and the governments of Norway and India. With $460 million in initial funding and hundreds of millions more promised over the next five years, SAPI hopes to create an innovative partnership between public, private, philanthropic and civil organisations. The main goal of the coalition appears to be the development of new vaccines that can be approved quickly for use on humans. In 2010, a TED presentation, Gates talked about the need, in his opinion, for strategies that could help reduce the global population. Incredibly, he mentions vaccines as one of the agents that could be used to help achieve such a goal. His exact words were, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. So exactly how do vaccines help in reducing the population? They're supposed to save lives, right? Well, that's the $460 million question. Bill never explained in public how vaccines reduce populations, but those of us who haven't been brainwashed by all the pro-vaccine propaganda know that vaccines can be made that are capable of sterilizing people, among other things. You don't have to kill people outright, just prevent them from making babies. And of course, if there was a bioterrorist attack, like they've been warning us, a false flag or otherwise, it would certainly provide an excuse for the vaccine industry to do whatever it sees fit. Of course, that's pretty much the case already, since the vaccine industry virtually controls all the agencies responsible for regulating its activities. So, what I'm saying is, don't be surprised when the next manufactured pandemic or bioterrorism threat ushers in a new era in which no doubt mandatory vaccines are developed and pushed on the public without adequate testing or safety trials. That sure would dovetail nicely with Bill's depopulation vision, wouldn't it? And the plan for technocracy and full-out control. It's all about the passport system, remember? 
was Bill trying to hint that something big is, is really about to happen? Or was he just fear-mongering to push the vaccine agenda? Maybe. We'll find out soon enough. Uh, well, talking about you know these sort of supranational organisations, we talked a lot about you know, the United Nations, NATO, the EU comes up an awful lot, uh, but also, of course, the World Health Organisation. Well, a lot of them are taking an awful lot more powers away from national sovereign governments. And now there's a bid to take away even more power in the event of a pandemic. Now, we, I think, in this country made an awful lot of mistakes, very similar to a lot of other mistakes that were made by other countries following totalitarian murderous states like China into lockdowns instead of doing what Sweden did, which was following pandemic planning and World Health Organization plans there. But there is now a move uh, for a World Health Organization pandemic treaty superseding the laws of, wait for it, 194 countries signed up to the World Health Organization to tackle the next pandemic. So they will be telling us what to do, not our own governments deciding. Let's talk about this with public law barrister and anti-lockdown campaigner Francis Hall. Good morning to you, Francis. Morning, Julia. This is the sort of thing that you see on Twitter and you think, oh, there's another conspiracy theory going around. This is 100% something that is actually happening. We know that the EU Council of the EU is also, you know, getting involved on all of this. World leaders have been calling for this pandemic treaty, this idea that you have this sort of, a, you know, one organisation giving advice to everybody on what to do, but not just advice, literally setting the laws in our country and elsewhere in the event of the next pandemic. There are a number of significant problems with the proposals for this treaty. At the moment, they're only proposals. There's going to be a meeting in August. The United United States have made some proposals in April um, and indeed there has been before this as detailed report by the um, review committee of the functioning of the international health re regulations which has actually gone into a lot of detail as to why they went wrong and how they should have been better it be better followed yeah which suggests that there isn't a, actually any real need for this new treaty, which, as you rightly said, will give greatly enhanced powers to the Director General in particular and the Executive Committee I'm, of the WHO. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that we had to live under laws for an awful long time in this country, and you were always opposed to the laws. I, I wasn't so opposed in the first couple of months of the first lockdown, but came to my awakening a little bit later. Um, but, but the idea that, um, that, you know, at least those laws were imposed by a government we had elected and and a parliament we had a we had a say over and we are in a position now look what we're seeing with beer gate and party gate and all those things and and elections we get to have a say we, we can say we're unhappy with what you've done we can vote people out we can campaign we can pressure we saw what happened with the covid recovery group of mps who effectively basically twisted boris johnson's arm in december last year not uh, to go into more restrictions where we're able to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that you don't need to have restrictions on people's lives uh, for the pandemic uh, uh, waves to go up and to go down. I mean, I anyone who's denying that proof, frankly, ain't paying attention is, is a dishonest actor, in my view. But to have rules that are made by, you know, someone over there in Switzerland at the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, you know, basically in cahoots with, with the Chinese government, uh, the, the, the World Health Organization, which led to, a, you know, happily leading a cover-up of the the uh, the original, you know, where, where COVID actually came from. I mean, that would be untenable in a democracy, surely. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free 
men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our freedom! Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Continuing a series of sermons on madness, I hope this is my last. Those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. I mentioned this in one of my last sermons. And today, in order that this well-known saying not have to apply to us, I'm going to go over uh, the history of the past hundred years of the United States, specifically regarding unethical medical experimentation on American citizens by official U.S. government agencies. It's not a pleasant topic for me to talk about. I don't like having to talk about such matters, uh, but I feel compelled because I'm not hearing it from the sources uh, that we should be. And so knowing, knowing what has happened in the past gives us something to compare the present with, right? What is happening now? Well, what's happened in the past? What are medical experts saying now? What have they said in the past? Right? Comparing the two, being better informed. Enables us to think for ourselves, to ask better questions, demand reasonable answers from our government, medical experts, and so on. And so this information, I'll give you a summary here before we go into it. I got all of this from the public domain. What I'm about to read, this is a Wikipedia entry. I, I want you to know that. This is not like conspiracy theory stuff. You type in on Google, unethical experimentations in the United States. Well, don't do that. You'll be horrified. Uh, but it's, it's been terrible. And this is, what, this is out there. This is public information. Beginning in the early 1900s, the U.S. government, in conjunction with dozens of state and private agencies, conducted illegal and unethical testing on the citizens of the United States. Many of these tests were performed on children, the sick, the mentally disabled, and often under the guise of medical treatment. Experiments included exposure to harmful biological substances, infections of toxic uh, injections of toxic and radioactive chemicals into uninformed subjects, surgical experiments, interrogation and torture, tests involving mind-altering substances, and a wide variety of other experiments, leaving many test subjects with deadly or debilitating diseases. Most of these experiments were sponsored by government agencies, including the CIA, 
the United States military, the CDC, and many other private corporations involved in military or governmental activities. These human research programs were highly secretive. Those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. We are told over and over again these days, trust the science, trust the experts. Uh, well, pardon me, because I don't trust the experts or their science. Because I know the past. I know my history. And I know what previous experts have done. And I know how they got previous science. This is what knowing our history does for us. It enables us to think for ourselves. So we're going to go into some of these, some of these experiences specifically. And like I said, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but we need to know the truth. So in 1932, there was the uh, Tuskegee syphilis experiment. This refers to a clinical study conducted between 1932 and 1972 in Tuskegee, Alabama by the U.S. Public Health Service. In this experiment, 400 poor black men suffering from a particular disease were lied to by researchers. They were told that they would receive treatment, but in fact, these researchers simply wanted to track the progress of debilitation. There was no effective treatment at the time. The experiment was started in 1932, but by 1947 there was, and researchers continued the program anyway. They could have given these men penicillin. They could have cured them from this disease, but they're like, you know, we're so far along, we want to keep tracking what the disease does to them. By the end of the study in 1972, 28 of the original 400 men had died directly from the disease. 100 were dead from complications related to the disease, 40 of their wives had become infected with the disease, and 19 of their children were born with congenital cases of the disease. This all could have been prevented from happening, but it was intentionally not prevented because they wanted the medical research. In fact, the only reason the study was discontinued in 1972 was because information was leaked to the press, and there was such a public outcry that the researchers were forced to stop. But over the course of 40 years, all manner of program directors, technicians, and medical personnel, nobody said anything. Nobody stopped it. The Chicago Malaria Experiment. In the 1940s, at the Illinois State Hospital, the U.S. Department of Medicine, in conjunction with the Army and the U.S. State Department, oversaw the deliberate injection of malaria into healthy psychiatric patients so that doctors could test the effectiveness of experimental medical treatments. These psychiatric patients were not informed, nor did they give their consent. What were they told? Trust your medical experts. The Vanderbilt Nutrition Study. After, immediately after World War II, researchers at Vanderbilt University gave 829 pregnant mothers uh, what they were told were vitamin drinks. These were to improve the health of their babies. In reality, the mixtures contained radioactive iron, and researchers wanted to determine how fast the radioisotope crossed into the placenta. Four of the women's babies died from cancer as a result of the experiment, and the women themselves experienced rashes, bruises, anemia, hair and tooth loss, and cancer. It gets worse. In 1957, 
the United States Atomic Energy Commission was involved in atmospheric nuclear explosions in Nevada, which were later determined to have released enough radiation to have caused anywhere from 11,000 to 200,000 cases of excess cancer among U.S. citizens who had been exposed to this fallout. So what did the Atomic Energy Commission do about it? They knew people had been exposed to this radiation. They knew that it was harmful to them. Rather than warn people about it, they decided to study the effects of radiation. And so in a secret document dated April 17, 1947, uh, entitled Medical Experiments in Humans, it was stated, no document ought be released which refers to experiments with humans that might have an adverse reaction on public opinion or result in legal suits. Documents covering such field work should be classified secret. At the same time they issued this secret document, the uh, Atomic Energy Commission instructed the Public Health Service to tell citizens suffering from radiation that it was due to neurosis. Uh, women with, women with, with uh, cancer, hair loss, and burned skin were told they were suffering from housewife syndrome. And the Public Health Service complied. They didn't warn people, they didn't tell them how to get treatment, they followed the orders to lie. The result led to between 1,000 to 20,000 unnecessary deaths. It gets worse. In 1950, the CIA initiated Project Bluebird. In this experiment, which included over 7,000 U.S. military personnel, uh, they were uh, operated on or uh, experimented upon without knowledge or consent. Researchers used a wide variety of psychoactive substances, including LSD, heroin, cocaine, PCP, and ether, in addition to hypnosis and forced addictions. The goal of Project Bluebird was to reduce the test subjects to a vulnerable state in order to achieve complete psychological manipulation. Researcher, researchers wanted to answer this question. Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature such as self-preservation? This was uh, for the intelligence community. This was for the purposes of espionage, spy work, completely unethical. And these experiments were carried out on these uninformed military personnel without their consent at the Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland. And years after these experiments, more than a thousand soldiers suffered from severe illnesses, including depression, epilepsy, and many of them attempted suicide. I wish I could stop here. But Project Bluebird um, continued. In 1953, the CIA placed multiple interrogation and mind control programs under the direction of a single program known as MKUltra. Uh, this came after the CIA director, Alan Dulles, complained about not having enough human guinea pigs on which to try out these extraordinary techniques. The MKUltra project received over $25 million in government funding and involved hundreds of experiments on human subjects at 80 different institutions within the United States. Building upon the evil knowledge gained from other programs, the purpose of MKUltra was thus. To depattern individuals, 
erase their mind and memories, and then rebuild their personality in a manner completely up to the researcher. One of the medical doctors conducting these experiments requested from the CIA any information they could find regarding threats, coercion, imprisonment, deprivation, humiliation, torture, brainwashing, black psychiatry, and hypnosis. Patients were put into drug-induced comas for up to 88 days, subjected to high-voltage electric shocks, and forced to listen to repeated hypnotic messaging for up to 20 hours per day. The directors of the CIA knew very well what was going on, and they knew very well what would happen if this activity was discovered, and so in a 1957 Inspector General report, it was stated, Precautions must be taken to conceal these activities from the American public. The knowledge that the agency is engaged in unethical and illicit activities would have serious repercussions in political and diplomatic circles. These MK Ultra experiments continued from 1953 to 1973 until the CIA finally decided to end the program before it was discovered. It's hard to hide 20 years of torturing your own citizens. So they tried to cover it up, but it was discovered and it was a huge public scandal. There are probably some parishioners who recall the two congressional hearings that followed, the Church Report and the Rockefeller Commission. So if you want to know more about uh, this program, MKUltra, uh, you can look those up. Uh, I encourage you not to unless you want to be horrified. Uh, these are not conspiracy theories. These are facts. This kind of thing actually happened in the United States. They make science fiction movies out of this kind of stuff. That's why it's important to know our history. This really happened. Authorities have lied in the past. The government has lied in the past. They have knowingly cost people their lives. People say it could never happen here. It has happened here. It can happen again. If you think it can't, you don't know history. No institution is above lying to us. Not the government, not the CDC, not the WHO, and we must accept this as a possibility. We must accept it is possible that we could be deceived. It is possible that people could succumb to original sin. They could succumb to the lust for power, to greed, to avarice. How much do you think your life is worth? to the CEO of a company when a billion dollars is on the line. And there's this tendency, there's a tendency in human nature not to want to accept reality when it contradicts authority. Imagine in the 1940s trying to tell people suffering from radiation sickness you're being lied to. Look at your symptoms, look at the burns, look at the hair loss, look at the cancer. This is radiation. No, this is housewife syndrome. Turn on the news, turn on the radio, look at the newspaper. They wouldn't all lie to us. I, this can't be true. That is human nature. We have to keep in our minds. If, if, if we have to accept there's a possibility, uh, we could be lied to so that we can accept reality when we start to see it happening. Now, it was, it was a good in the 1970s. Uh, it was very good that the media, there were hundreds and hundreds of different media institutions, different organizations, different corporations, and they were all vying with each other to be the best. The first to report the news, the, the most accurate, whatever it may be. 
If you weren't accurate in news, uh, you know, you, you get uh, outdone by another company. But imagine, what if there wasn't hundreds of media organizations? What if there were only six? What if there were six conglomerate corporations that owned every single media station out there? That's the case right now, these days. CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, Time Warner, what is it, uh, uh, Fox News. Six corporations own everything. Six people are making the decision on the information everybody gets. Here's a series of questions. What if, what if these six corporations that owned every single media station also owned pharmaceutical companies that had a financial interest in conducting experiments? What if these six corporations received large grants and tax incentives from the U.S. government who was conducting experiments? What if the CEO of a large corporation had a huge financial interest in the results of some experiment? And the CEO decided to grant hundreds of millions of dollars as a grant to media stations. What if? Know your history and know your recent history. These are not what-if scenarios. In fact, there's a bulletin entry today. The bulletin entry is on this very thing. CEO, last year, uh, gave $250 million to media organizations. I'm not going to say which CEO, but the gates of hell will not prevail. <laughs> what happens when a country turns its back on God? Uh, it doesn't abandon God, it replaces him. That's just like Lucifer. It wasn't enough for Lucifer to disobey God. Lucifer wanted to take his place. And that's what we're seeing today. Well, I said it earlier. Trust the science, trust the experts. That's not science. That's faith. Believe the experts. Trust us. Play, put your faith in us. No argumentation, no hard questioning, no scrutiny. Just trust. What we are being asked, essentially, is to render under the government and the medical communities a pious submission of our mind and will. Don't ask questions, don't resist, believe what we tell you, do what we tell you. And this is a point, it gets to a point about misinformation that is extremely disturbing. We should be aware of this. Um, YouTube censors videos, as we all know. And I looked up, why? What are, the, what are their criteria for censoring videos? One of them is anything which contradicts an official statement from the World Health Organization or local authorities. If you contradict local authorities, their official statement, that's misinformation. So let's go back to the 1940s and the 1950s. If you contradicted the Atomic Commission, misinformation, you would have been silenced. You contradicted the medical experts at the Chicago Malaria Institute, misinformation, you would have been silenced. That would have been the truth. Implicit in this statement, this misinformation policy, uh, uh, that if, if you say anything against these organizations, uh, the implicit statement is that these organizations can neither deceive nor be deceived. These organizations are uh, all omnipotent, all-knowing, and they're all good. Your government could never lie to you. We could never do that. They would never take advantage of you. 
That's what, that's what people are being conditioned to believe by the media, by this misinformation policy. You've contradicted the CDC. Therefore, you must be wrong. It's treated like blasphemy. What happens when a society rejects God? They take his place. So, in closing, I want to give one of the bioethical principles of the Catholic Church. And that is informed consent. Persons receiving medical treatment have the right to know what is involved, what are the risks, and they are free to refuse. And that is my fundamental message. You do not have to consent to unwanted medical treatment. No government agency, no religious leader can force you against your will. If you suspect with good reason that you're being asked to participate in a worldwide medical experiment, do not participate. Do not repeat history. Know your history. God is our Savior and no one else. God alone is all good, all knowing, all just, and all merciful. Only God can never deceive or be deceived. Trust in Him alone, not in the government, not in the media, not even in church leaders who are increasingly abandoning church doctrine. End of season. God bless you all. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.